Hello, welcome to The Plants We Eat. This is Jeff Gilman, and across from me, crunching, uh, what are you crunching over there, Cindy? Nothing. Nothing, okay. Edamames. Edamames, you're finishing up our edamames from last week? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's fine. Well, we've got a very interesting food to try this week. We're going to be giving millet a try, and thanks to Joseph Featherstone for suggesting millet. And uh, I brought in a few different foods today made with millet. I really got into cooking this week. And the first one we're going to try is a millet cookie. What do you think, Cindy? Does that look like a cookie? I mean, it looks, it actually looks like fried cheese. <laughs> looks like fried cheese. it cheese. tastes great. How about a graham cracker? Well, okay. Okay. Not quite a dense, bready looking graham cracker, but millet is gluten free. Yes. And um, it's, that's why it looks like this that. This is a great tasting gluten-free cookie. So I baked these up a couple nights ago. I want you to wait to tell me it's great tasting until you've had it sit in your mouth a while because I I actually brought this in to the guys over at the botanical gardens and I fed it to them and all of them reacted right like you guys reacted and that's it's great. When I first tried I was like dang I'm gonna make this all the time. So first of all let me tell you what's in this what's in this cookie here. This cookie is made of brown sugar, butter, and millet flour. So not unlike a regular old cookie or any basic cookie. I also added some baking powder and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. So I cooked it up, and then we ate it, and everybody's reaction at the gardens was the same when they first ate it, and that is, this is a really good cracker or, you know, cookie, and I would eat this regardless of the, you know, millet, no millet, I don't care, it's good. And then about three or four minutes later, there was an aftertaste, and so that's what I'm waiting for from you guys, to see if you get the aftertaste. Some people responded badly, some people, it didn't bother at all. I was kind of in between, I could taste it. But it wasn't offensive to me. I'm with you. It's in between. A little metallic. A little bitter. Uh, yeah. It, bitter it's a, it's with a, a little metallic taste, but it doesn't Michael, are you gonna... I don't taste anything. Okay. I would say, honestly, it was about a third, a third, a third. A third couldn't taste any bitter aftertaste at all. A third had a little bit of aftertaste, but nothing that would stop them from eating it. And about a third, I mean, literally, they finished their cracker and said, I will not eat it again. All right. Now, the second thing that I made was Rice Krispie Treats. And I say Rice Krispie Treats. It's not really Rice Krispie Treats. I got some puffed millet. I went to Amazon. I couldn't find it in the store. I went to Amazon, and I purchased millet puffed. And then I said to myself, this looks like nothing so much as uh, Rice Krispies. So I'm going to make Rice Krispie Treats out of millet. So, Cindy, what do you think of the millet Rice Krispie Treats? Tastes like you tried but couldn't do it. (laughs) Thanks. Michael, tell me, where are you? It's pretty good. It does taste a bit stale. It does taste stale. <laughs> Let me rephrase about the cookie. The cookie tastes phenomenal, but I have no aftertaste. So you would eat it. You would eat it again. I'll leave. I'll leave a few of, the, of these with you uh, later, and you can eat them at your discretion. Oh yeah. So here's the here's the deal with the millet. And if you want to check out the, I have some of the puffed millet here. We didn't use all of it. The problem is that rice puffs crispy. Millet does not puff crispy. It, it puffs kind of soft. And therefore the stale and there, texture. And, and yeah. there's the stale I texture. I like that description. It is stale. The flavor, and again, I, I'd love it if you disagree with me or agree with me either way. I think that the flavor is spot on with Rice Krispies. I think it tastes exactly like Rice Krispies, but it tastes like Rice Krispies that have like been sitting in a humid car for a couple days. You're with me, Cindy? I agree. Okay. So, you know, I've got this tray of Rice Krispie treats. I'll probably finish them or maybe I'll set them out for the birds. I don't know. Of course, here we are talking about this millet. Some of you may not even know what millet is. Well, millet is a small grain, very similar to wheat. The big difference between uh, wheat and millet is simply that millet does not have gluten in it. That's the biggest difference. It's a big deal, though. It is a big because deal. Because I'm enjoying this cookie mm-hmm. when I don't, I can't enjoy many cookies like that without sacrificing, you know, not my health, but just how I feel later. Oh, really? So this, so you're, you're one of those gluten responders. You mm-hmm. respond to... Okay. Not a celiac by any means, but I do respond negatively to gluten. I've met a lot of people like that, and it's not that it makes them sick. 
just that they they seem to be run down or mm-hmm. run know. down fog brain and that's the price i pay the other thing that is worth mentioning about millet in fact worth mentioning it's fundamental to millet is that we have a lot of different plants that are called millet and these not only aren't all in the same species they're not even in the same genus in some cases. They're in the same family. It's a family of grasses. Now, the millet that uh, we eat versus the millet that, that we give the birds, they're in the same genus, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. So we give all of these different millets we can eat. None of them is toxic, but there's a long list. First of all, sorghum can actually be considered millet, depending on who you're talking to. Foxtail millet, finger millet, pearl millet, barnyard millet, koto millet, little millet, proso millet, and there are actually a few others. This is a big group of plants that are really, again, not that closely related. The most common that most people eat is actually pearl millet. That's, that's going to be our most common millet. Foxtail millet is used uh, quite a bit, but pearl millet is the big one. The big commonality of these millets is the size of the grain. These are all small grain. I mean, if you take a look at these, they are definitely, no doubt, smaller than wheat. So without gluten... Cooking these cookies is actually really strange. So let me describe this recipe to you. The recipe itself isn't going to be strange, but listen to how I did this. I mixed up the flour, the baking soda, and the butter all together, okay, into, into a dough. Then I added the sugar, added one thing at a time just to make this dough. Then I took the dough and I put it onto a cookie tray that had been sprayed with, you know, nonstick stuff. So it was all done as different cookies. Put it into the oven, turn the light on the oven because I like to watch things cook. And then they all melted into one huge mass. Now, here's the thing. As I'm watching it, I watched all these bubbles rise in it. There was no water in there, so why were these bubbles rising? Remember, I added baking soda, or baking powder, actually. What baking soda and baking powder do is release carbon dioxide. When they release carbon dioxide into a normal bread dough, which is made with wheat and has gluten in it, the bubbles are caught, and that's what makes the bread rise. When you're dealing with millet, which doesn't have gluten, the bubbles just pop. So I'm watching this flat tray of this stuff pop all over the place, and I'm thinking to myself, why did I bother adding baking soda? The carbon dioxide isn't going to be trapped by anything. So when you're looking at at these cookies here, you can see all these little holes on top. That's from the popping bubbles that were supposed to be trapped by gluten, but which couldn't be trapped by the gluten. So would you make these again without the baking soda? Yes, if I made these again, I'd make them Because I wonder if that is contributing to the bitterness. It's possible, and I actually considered that. I'm going to make these again. I actually got a lot of millet flour, and I am going to be making these I would be intrigued because I've enjoyed those enough to satisfy a sweet tooth. And I actually think that I'm going to add a little bit of vanilla next time as well. You know, when we were doing this, I wanted to really get that millet flavor, whatever it was. Millet, by the way, is known to have a slightly bitter flavor. We're just going to have to see. Now, millet isn't something that I would necessarily recommend growing at home, but you could because turning it into flour (laughs) might be a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) But, you know, when you think about easy to grow or inviting wildlife to your garden, it would be a perfect plant, so to speak. And it is from the same genus that of grasses that we grow ornamentally. Absolutely. And those are always recommended for folks who want to invite wildlife into their into their properties. Absolutely. You know, millet is extremely easy to grow. Rice has actually not been the staple crop of China forever and ever, or Asia forever and ever. Actually, we know that 10,000 years ago, proso millet was actually domesticated in China. Millet was the first staple in that area of the world prior to rice. Well, you know, in Eastern Africa, millet is used to make beer. Uh, why not? Yes. And then it's, and it's also an ingredient in fermented drinks and porridges in Eastern Europe. 
I mean, so in other words, we can get our alcohol out of we this. We can though. get our alcohol out of this, absolutely. And it and it is a staple for a lot of third world countries. And I know it's bird food in in the United States for the most part. But for gluten free components, you've just proven the cookies. I would be I would be all over this uh, gluten flour. It's great. And this is uh, I want I want to stress again. One of the amazing things about millet is that it can take hot temperatures and low water better than almost any other crop. Last week, we talked a little bit about soybeans and how soybeans aren't produced in China quite as much anymore. Well, you know, that northern region of China where soybeans used to be produced, a crop that can be grown there is millet because it doesn't take as much water as the soybeans take and it can handle a lot of heat. This is an extremely efficient crop. Whereas rice and, and soy aren't, well, soy is pretty lot, well, Rice needs a lot of water. Rice needs a lot of water and soy needs a lot of water. Not as much whereas, as rice, but. Whereas millet doesn't. So, so in low water environments, millet is a great crop. And it's very nutritious. I mean, it has fiber, iron, especially the B vitamins mm-hmm. is what it's the strongest in. Um, manganese, phosphorus. I mean, it's easy to digest and it's soothing to the stomach because it's, it's highly alkaline. That's fascinating. It is. I, I had no idea. So that means I can eat more of these cookies. <laughs> hey, if you want more of them, go ahead. My family was only okay with them. Uh, so you know that people obviously have different abilities to taste bitter. Suzanne, my wife, she definitely tastes bitter strongly. So she was only okay. She loved it when she first tried it. And then it had that aftertaste that she really didn't enjoy that much. So yeah, if you want a few of these, please take them with you. I think we're going to fight over them, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? When we were talking about and collecting these these various foods and we got this puffed millet, I started to look up, when did they start puffing grains? Do you know they started puffing grains? No. The first, okay, so there's actually a guy who, who started doing it. His name was Alexander P. Anderson, and he has a 1902 patent for puffing grains. You could basically puff anything. So let me tell you a little bit about first the concept and then how it's done. The concept is that in your grains, and let me define grains real briefly. A grain is nothing more than a small, hard seed. Soybean can actually be considered a grain, but cereal grains are different because cereal grains actually means a grass. So that could be anything from millet to wheat to rice. Mostly when you're talking about puffing of grains, you're talking about puffing of cereal grains. It's basically, again, grass seed. So what the theory is, is that within a seed, there's a lot of starch. The starch being the sugar that helps the seed to grow when it first germinates. Well, inside of that starch, there's a tiny little bit of water, just a little bit of water. And if you could make this water flash to steam, you understand what I mean by flash to steam, like suddenly become steam, then it would explode the seed. So what he did was he basically made a pipe bomb. And if you guys don't know what a pipe bomb is, good. You should know what a pipe bomb is. (laughs) What a pipe bomb basically is, is you take a tube, you fill it with grain, and then you seal both ends. So he basically took a tube, sealed both ends, put a little pressure gauge on it, and then rolled it over very high heat. Now you see, because the ends were sealed, as the heat was applied, it would build up a lot of pressure, and that pressure would stop the water from turning to steam, because water turning to steam takes both the right pressure and the right heat, okay? So inside the tube, these grains would get very, very hot, but the water inside the seeds couldn't turn to steam. What then happened is that in the sealed tube, he would suddenly smash off an end. This was actually a glass tube. I didn't tell you that before, but it was a glass tube. Later, they used different types. And when you smashed off the end of this glass tube, all of a sudden, with all that pressure release, the water inside 
would flash to steam and your grains would suddenly puff up. Mm. And this is the way this was commercially made for years, not with the glass tubes, but with steel tubes where you could actually pop off the end. And so this was actually, and some of you out there may have heard of this, this was actually food shot from guns. You may have heard of commercials where it's the cereal shot from a gun. <laughs> there was actually commercials about this. So you can puff essentially any grain. And when you see puffed rice, when you see puffed millet, when you see puffed wheat, this is made in these, actually not guns anymore, but something roughly similar. So isn't that awesome? That is yay, cool. Yay, Alexander Anderson. What an awesome patent in 1902. I'm in awe. With all the patents out there, you kind of wonder their validity. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this. this is a neat one. One of the funny things, you know, just to take it a step further, is that I found a patent by him all for essentially the same thing. 1902, there's one from 1916. He actually patented a whole bunch of different ways based on the same concept. And the name of the patent, you'd think it'd be something cool like puffing grains. No, it's art of treating starch material. <laughs> what, I, could you imagine a more boring title? It's overlooked a lot because of that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you very much for listening. Next week, let's do something fun. Let's do, how about we do sesame? Good with sesame? Yes, absolutely. We'll do sesame next week. That sounds Look, great. Looking forward to it. This has been The Plants We Eat. It's a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and the Isle Group. Thanks so much, and we look forward to talking to you next week.